Welcome to Indie Reads Aloud, a storytelling podcast with your host, Diana Catherine Plopa. Come gather round, grab a snack, and listen to a story. Each week, we'll feature a new indie author with a story to tell. There are no long-winded interviews, no sales pitches, just stories. Most of the stories we'll tell will be family-friendly, but if they're not, you'll get fair warning before the reading begins. If you want to hear more, investigate the story notes for links to the author and where to buy their books. You can find us at dkpwriter.com. And now, sit back, relax, and listen to a story. Welcome, everybody. We are having another wonderful author back. She's, again, a repeat author. I love it when people come back to read to me again. Um, today, Kathleen Casca, all the way from Texas. Thank you for coming back. Kathleen. Well, actually, I'm in Washington State right now. Did you move, or is this just vacation? Well, I'm living here most of the time, but I'm in Texas a lot. I'm from Texas, so I return a lot in the winter time. I have family there, and uh, it's kind of dreary here in Washington. So I'm kind of in both places. Okay, awesome. Um, so tell us, uh, the last time you were on the program, you read from your mystery novel, um, Mystery at the Menger. Right. And then this one is now the sixth. In that series, this is Mystery yes. at the Poncha Train, right? Right, right. Um, this one is um, the sixth in the series. It's set at the Poncha Train Hotel in New Orleans. And uh, this, the fifth one kind of leads into this one. In the fifth series, which I read on your podcast about a year ago, um, part of Sydney's investigation takes her to New Orleans. And so in doing the research, I was just like so fascinated with the city that I decided that one book, one mention wasn't enough. <laughs> so oh. I picked a hotel out in New Orleans and I went back and did the research. And this is number six. All my books are set in different historic hotels. And these are hotels that were opened, of course, in the 1950s when my when my books take place, but the they're also still open today. So, so what was what was the most surprising thing that you discovered at the Pontchartrain Hotel that really drew you in to write this story? What was the most surprising aspect of it? I discovered that Tennessee Williams was staying there when he wrote his play, Streetcar Named Desire. Very cool. And so, of course, I put that into the book as well. But yeah, that was kind of a, a fun bit of trivia that I found out. And so as a result, I, I uh, read a biography of Tennessee Williams. And he, of course, he spent a lot of time there. And uh, yeah, so that's what it, that was a surprise. And I that's just, I had to put it in the book. <laughs> That's a really neat energetic connection when you find that another writer uh, has been in the same space where you're writing or the same right. space that you're writing about. Um, I 
I love going to here in Michigan, we have a place called Greenfield Village, which Henry Ford collected all these historic homes and buildings and put them there. And Edgar Allan Poe's cottage is there. And it's so neat just to walk through and be in that same environment. It's very cool. So tell us a little bit more about this book. And then when you're ready, please take the microphone and read aloud. Okay. Murder at the Pontchartrain takes place at the Pontchartrain Hotel in the early 1950s. My protagonist is a young woman trying to make it in a man's world as a private detective. She has a partner, a business partner, boyfriend, that they're working together now. And they came to New Orleans to elope. And when they got to the hotel, they decided to go see this friend of Sydney's. He uh, lives there now. And she met him in the third book. His name is Rip. He was a bouncer and now he has his own agency in New Orleans. So because there was a 24 hour waiting period on a marriage license, Sydney and Dixon decided to go look up Rip and see how he was doing. When they get to his office, they find out that he's missing as well as his uh, secretary girlfriend. They're both missing. They go back to the hotel and then when they get back, there's a dead body in, murdered in their room. And uh, Dixon, Sydney's fiance partner, is arrested for the murder. Right. So she's got to prove his innocence. Awesome. And will you be reading from the first chapter of the book? No. Or are you I'm jumping into the middle? I'm jumping in the middle. Okay. This takes place in um, the swamp outside of Louisiana. And uh, Sydney has been captured by two guys, two bad guys. And they take her to the swamp with the plan to kill her. So she is, she wakes up after being chloroformed. And so this is the chapter I'm gonna read. Excellent. I woke to complete darkness, the kind that tells you you're in big trouble. Darkness where nothing else exists. Darkness that smells of doom. Darkness that told me I'd screwed up again. My mind cleared a bit. Two unpleasant realizations hit. I was soaking wet and gasping for air. Drowning, not again. I'd almost drowned on the last case, and here I am again, except this time I was bound and wrapped in a sack, probably the same kind Levine Rose was wrapped in. Panic began to set in, then a glimmer of hope. I was not in the river, I was lying on the ground, and I heard thunder. Rain pelted down. She's coming too, someone said. I told you to bash her head in. You couldn't kill a fly with a brick. I recognized Zimmer's voice. I'll take care of it. She'll be dead in no time. I didn't want to do it before we put her in the trunk. That way, we wouldn't have to clean up any blood. Why don't you go sit in the car? I'm almost finished. 
that hole has to be deeper. What if someone comes along and sees it? Or what if a coyote digs it up? Who's going to come along here? The big bad wolf? Besides, if I dig it much deeper, water will seep in. The ground in the cypress swamp is like a sponge. That's why you should have dumped her in the river in the, like the other one. Let the alligators take care of her. The other one was pulled from the river bugger. I want to make sure this one never surfaces. Stop talking and do as I say. I want to see this hole covered up when you're done. Understand? I had to do something quick. There was no way I'd stand for being buried alive. The only problem I could was that I couldn't move. I heard Benny sloshing away and figured I had two minutes at the most. Although I, I was tied up, I wasn't gagged. Bugger, I whispered, can you hear me? What the hell? I heard the shovel drop. Mama, is that you? This wasn't my fault. You know I'd never kill anyone. Mama, who was Burger, Burger talking to? Was there a woman with him? Mama, please help me. I know I was a big disappointment to you. I know you're in a good place. Give me another chance. Give me a sign from the other side, Mama. The guy no longer sounded sure of himself over what he was about to do. His voice, voice began to quiver. Was this guy speaking to his dead mother? Mama, please talk to me, bugger sobbed. With a slight Louisiana twang to my voice, I whispered, Bugger, this is your mother. A silence followed. Had Bugger passed out? Or was he frozen in fear from hearing the, his dead mother speak? Bugger, I said again. Mama, Mama, you're here? You don't have a lot of time, so listen closely. Yes, ma'am. Hide the woman behind the cypress trees. Then fill in the hole. Hurry. Bugger took hold of the sack and tossed me over his shoulder. He started moving through the brush, evident by several tree branches slapping me. But at least he was following my or his mother's directions. Then he dropped me on the ground and threw some twigs on top. I heard him walking away. Bugger, go back and untie the sack. Again, Bugger did what he was told. I heard him scurrying back and started shoveling. Thank you, Mama, I heard Burger say. Burger, Vinny yelled. Who in the hell are you talking to? No one, Vinny. I was just saying a prayer over the body. I'm almost done here. Stupid cuss. Did you bash her head in? Several times with a shovel. She's good and dead. I waited till I was sure they were gone. I managed to set up. Dizziness from the chloroform wafted over me. I took a few deep breaths and wriggled out of the sack. Rain splattered on my face. A welcome feeling after being stuffed in suffocating burlap. Luckily, my captors hadn't bothered to search me. I felt my gun nestled under my left arm. My hands and feet were tied, but I was alive and as safe as, as I could be for the moment. My head cleared. I looked around. 
the swamp seemed alive and dead at the same time. From my last experience in the swamp, I learned that when you hear nothing, when nothing moved, you could be sure that those moments were followed by a loud animal sound, one caught by another, an alligator snatching a blue heron, a cougar pouncing up a raccoon, a water moccasin swallowing an entire nest of baby birds. Then, just as quickly, silence returned. I didn't want to be a predator's next meal. I looked around for something I could use to slice through the ropes around my wrist. All the trees were covered in soggy moss, their bark soft and crumbly. There were no sharp rocks in the swamp. A soft breeze moved the canopy above and a lone sun ray reflected off an object a few feet away. I scooched over. In a clearing, I saw what I thought was a trash heap. It turned out to be an old campsite. Lying near the remainder of the campfire was a rusty tin can, the lid sticking up, still attached. I kicked it over and black water spilled out. When was the last time I had a tetanus shot? Not important now. I maneuvered the can into my hands. Within minutes, my palms were scratched and bloody, but free of ropes. The footprints the men left led me to a muddy road, little more than a wooded trail covered in tree roots. Thick mats of water hyacinth grew over a creek and reminded me that one false step would have me hit deep in water. I understood why they decided to bury my body out here. No sane person would be caught dead in this creepy environment. Truthfully, I didn't know why they even planned to bury me. My body would be devoured in days and the rest decomposed soon after. The main road came into view. Tired tracks led me in the right direction. 10 minutes into my, tra my track, I spotted a curious object lying in a shallow puddle, a shovel, a new shovel, rust-free shovel. I fished it out. It must have been the one Burger used to dig my grave. If there were any fingerprints left on it, the water probably took care of that. I brought it with me anyway. Having another weapon never hurt. Soon I found my way to a shack. The sign out front said, Gully's Bake Shop. My clothes stained with mud and blood and me looking like a deranged nutra, nutria, I walked in. The guy behind the counter seemed unfazed by my appearance and the shovel in my hand. He was sitting at a counter peeling a pile of boiled shrimp. Are you Gully? Yep, that's me. Well, Gully, that's exactly what I've been doing, skinning a hog. Can I use your phone? Got night crawlers, crawdads, minnows, but no phone. How far is it to the city? Ain't no city here. New Orleans, mm, about seven miles. He popped a shrimp in, into his mouth. I'm happy to pay you if you give me a ride. Ain't got no car. Riley out back has it's got one. I heard jaunty Zydeco music coming from behind it a back screen door. I stepped out. 
a guy who looked to be older than Moses was sitting on a wooden bench with his feet propped up on the porch railing. He was playing an accordion. Another guy was thumbing the washboard and a third was burning up a fiddle. These guys were good. It was hard to keep my hips from swaying. The next of the necks of beer bottles poked out from a ice tub filled with ice. If I, if I wasn't involved in a murder investigation and time wasn't of the essence, I'd grab a cold one and stay a while. Which one of you is Riley? The accordion player nodded. I didn't bother explaining my presence. It didn't seem to matter. I need to get back to New Orleans fast. Can you drive me there? I'll pay you. Nope. Nope. They started up another tune. I had to sit down to keep from dancing. Please, it's important. Riley smiles. Can't. Why? Gully said you had a car. I do, but ain't got no gas. I consider my options. I could walk back. Even in bare feet, I could probably make it in under three hours. I thought about hitchhiking, but I hadn't seen a car come by on this road. And who would dare get into a car with, with anyone? And who would dare get into a car with anyone who stopped to pick up someone looking like me? I could take you in my Piero, he said. That's when I noticed a creek running behind the bait shop. How long would that take? Be there before the sun go down. I didn't have the entire day to waste in a piro floating down a swamp with a Cajun at the helm. That won't do. It's pleasant out on Honey Creek. We'd have a good time, right? Right, pleasant. Bo on the washboard guy said, I no longer wanted to dance. I wanted to take my shovel and swat all three of these men upside the head. Wait, did you say Honey Creek? Yep, that'd be it behind me. You don't happen to know a guy named Lucian Thibo. He looks like a bear. Oh, Lucian? Yeah, we know him, said Riley. I think he's dead, the fiddle player said. He was alive a, a couple of weeks ago when I saw him, I said. Lucian Thibault was a guy Rip and I ran into when we were here chasing a crazy woman who knocked off a coyote, a couple of people in San Antonio. Lucian lived on a shanty and ate rotten squirrel stew, but otherwise he was harmless. The best thing was that he had a pickup. I'll take the chance he's still alive. How far away is the shanty? Five minute float, Riley replied. Let's go, I said. Now, Gully was standing at the door listening. The four of us climbed into Roddy's Piro. Instruments, beer tub, and all. In fact, the music never stopped. Gully climbed in too. With him using an oar and me using my shovel, we paddled and took off. Shortly after, I detected a pungent odor, squirrel stew, and knew we were close. We rounded a bend. There was Lucian sitting on the porch. It looked as, he, as if he had moved since the last time I saw him. Lucian squinted when he saw us, and then his face lit up. Sydney! He jumped up. Riley threw him a rope, and Lucian tied us to, the, to his houseboat. 
Glad to see you, gal. Good to see you too, Lucian. I didn't think you'd remember me. Of course I do. Anyone who gave me an entire beer truck full of beer is hard to forget. I know you'd come back to see old Lucian. You did? Yep. Been waiting. Let me give you a hand. He plucked me out of the bureau and set me down on the porch. Lucian, Lucian's hug came close to crushing my ribs. The shanty started vibrating and swaying. I looked up to see a big guy come out from inside. He was wearing overalls like Lucian. His beard was heavy and he smelled like a monkey. Rip? Sydney, I can't believe it. Lucian kept telling me you were coming. How did you know, Lucian? I read them in the bones I throw. They told me that you was coming, Lucian said. I didn't believe him, Rip said. I can guess you're here hiding out, but why? Long story, Sid. I needed to hear Rip's story, but I had to get a move on. Nicely done. I had a little problem with my microphone there for a minute. Uh, okay. Nicely done. That that sounds like a really exciting book. How much well, time? How much time did you spend actually in the swamp? Uh, probably an hour. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this time, so, this time around, yeah. So, so, what was what was your favorite part about writing this story? Just being in New Orleans and doing my research and um, just getting to know the city. I, I love the city. It, it's so unique and it's got a certain mystique. Um, and I tried to include as much of New Orleans in the book as I could. Um, I've included the voodooism. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are several scenes that take place in um, the House of Voodoo, which uh, has been in New Orleans for decades. And yeah. there's scenes that take place in the French Quarter and Pat O'Brien's bar. And um, then I bring in Cafe Dumont and the right. Garden District. So it's, it's like a tour through New Orleans with a... Um, sidetrack to the swamp <laughs> but, that's really fun so so this is the sixth book for sydney what's over over the course of six books what part of sydney's character has now come to light for you that you didn't know about in book one her life has uh changed and developed which i'm glad because it's I, I like my books to seem realistic and and she's young and she's naive and she makes decisions that don't always work out. So there is a, there is a change in her life. She starts off as a reporter and in the first book, and that's where she meets Dixon. There's the body found in her hotel room. Mm -hmm. She is a suspect and then she has to prove her innocence, but she has gained a lot of confidence in herself after solving a few mysteries and realizing that Dixon was not gonna go away, <laughs> they decided to open up their own detective agency. 
Excellent. So, so there, um, there's been a there's been an arc of maturity that's happened for her over the course of these six books. Then, yes, yes, and she's I she's a lot more courageous, courageous, courageous than she used to be. Um, she um, always felt like she could do just about anything, but then there was always that doubt underneath. You know, being right. a young woman. In, in the 50s and you know like wondering how she can maintain a career she didn't want a family she didn't want that domestic life but at sure. the same time she needs a guy she falls in love so she's got to keep that balance there right and, well uh, and in the 1950s the um accessibility for women to do different things was very limited back then so it's it a was. different era it's a different way to approach it i hope since we jumped in the middle of this series, I hope you'll come back and read the books in the beginning of the series for us on future episodes. I think that would be fun so that we can tie all these pieces together and, uh, and really learn how the story progresses. I, I would love to. I would love to. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. And we'll look for you on the next episode. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to Indie Reads Aloud Radio. We hope you'll join us again next week for another story. If you're an indie author and you'd like to share your story with us, visit our website at dkpwriter.com to sign up and read aloud.